Hello, witches. I'm Mags. And I'm Joe. And I'm Zan. And we're the Three Mighty Witches. Witches. This week, we're discussing chapters one through six of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah G. Mass. Yes. Um, so, at uh, during the podcast, we will be drinking wine. And uh, we will start off with naming what wine we are drinking. It's nothing fancy, um, just uh, wine that we probably get at the supermarket. Um, so if you have any suggestions, please let us know. But for today's, we are having Farm Fresh Wine Company's Raspberry Moscato. To start off with. To start off, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, we technically have already started on the second level, yes. And we like the sweet stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just as a warning, after a couple of glasses, we do tie. Kind of get... Rowdy? There you go. Okay. I get even more clear-headed. I don't know what they're talking about. You get a little expressive with your language. That's why we're going to have an E on this one. Oh, yeah. So if you're not 18, get permission to be listening to this. Because we like to get rowdy. Or put your earmuffs on. <laughs> or, or just yeah. all around. Silly. Okay. So, we're, we're going to first off um, start with recapping. Um, and as we recap, uh, we are going to talk about some questions that kind of arise uh, from reading the book. And uh, it doesn't matter if you read the book or if you listen to it um, through Audible or script or wherever it is that you get your audiobooks. Because uh, we have done all... Three, uh, somewhat. Um, I've read and listened, and we've also listened to the dramatized version. Oh, I like yeah. that one. Yeah, that it's one really makes you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> when you're drinking, there you go. or not. <laughs> um, inspiration. Um, <clears throat> you know, partners benefit, all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Um, so, we're going to start off by, um, at the beginning we meet Farah, who, Farah, who is this, who is in the snowy forest hunting for food for her family. We get to the gritty description of her trek and difficulties with finding prey for the family and, um, you know, to provide on the dinner table. We get a quick rundown of all of the things that she's worried about, which is at the, at the top is fairies. Uh, the cold and the hunting problems, surviving for that week, day, and or hour, and starvation. And so she gives us a brief description of all the strange people that have been um, spotted in the area that the hunters have warned her about. And so they're kind of, she's already very fearful of what she finds in the forest. And so she's very, like, you know, hypervigilant. Um, so. I wanted to ask, um, at this point in the book, which is early on, of course, were you a little worried when you as a reader realized you were going to get a whole lesson on hunting that you didn't really want? She goes into a heavy, heavy amount of detail about how she's going about finding prey to feed her family, finding holes in the ice and snow, as well as nearby water sources that would be a perfect place to also stop prey, and at that point in the book, did you have to fight against your disinterest, or did you find yourself interested in the imagery that was being laid out? Because I personally was about to tap out. 
I was definitely about to tap out. I am coming from a non-fantasy background. Uh, <laughs> most of the books I read have more detail in the person's history, how they look, uh, maybe relationships with other people, but not a lot of detail about how the environment is or how to do something. I'm used to the fantasy world <laughs> since I was a little girl. I would read nothing but fantasy stories, so it's like I'm the actual character in the book. I could feel, smell, everything. Wait. <laughs> the sex scenes. <laughs> oh. I mean, this if you went to the, to the dramatic, the dramatic ad- adaptation, you might have, uh, you know, felt it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But um, I'm used to like the dramatics of like the scenery and all that stuff going on, and it's just like being in that actual place at that actual time for me. I'm a boring person, I guess. I like the nature stuff. Oh, so you like the the description of the city? Yeah. I hate it. I absolutely. No. But I get it. You know, Sarah, her all of her books are. I mean, at least this one and the ones in the future are are pretty dense, and so she's very descriptive while also delivering dialogue and all that stuff. So it's never quite boring. But at this point, she is going into heavy detail about <laughs> the woods and how brown and beige everything is which i guess is like kind of a theme in the this chapter yeah. well in the first chapters because it's kind of like at first Farah is like it's it, everything's beige and brown Pee. and gray and dull <laughs> and then she discovers color in the later <laughs> chapters because she goes to print anyway so um i it, i did lose interest i the i mean uh, and I, I think we all started reading this for different reasons um, I started reading it, reading it because book talk was obviously a heavy influence. I didn't understand why everyone was so interested. So that's the only reason I kind of kept on. And then somebody suggested a book club. Who? <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of took out, you know, um, a little bit of peer pressure helped me move along. And I <laughs> went with it and I ran with it. And, you know, I think I beat everybody. Joe is... <laughs> I'm familiar with peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I don't reread it though. It was, it was a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, because so we started the book club, and this wasn't even the first book. I think, I think Sonia, yeah, our friend. We had a, 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 a fail. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! What was it? Letters to something? It was a like a romance, like just your typical romance with like. Over dramatic sex scenes, like, like a, a how do you say it? like when you're a virgin and you first have sex and like it's the same shit for and over and over and over. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> in, in, intense? No, it's disappointment. Like That's how yeah, I. Well, there we go. There we go. But like what I'm saying, it's like the same shit over and over. Like no adventure at <laughs> exactly. all. Exactly. Same routine. Vanilla. Exactly. Well, see, I don't even. I don't think day. I even got that far. No. Yeah, it was. It was I don't think I did either. Mm. Yeah, I stopped, and I think that's just, that's when Akatar came yeah. through, and that's when we switched. I don't know who suggested it. Was it, it was me? <laughs> uh, and then we took off with it. I actually started reading it in 2018, but I didn't get further than like the third chapter, and uh, I forgot about it because my mind likes to read several things at once, and mm-hmm. I went to a different book. And then when you brought it up, I'm like. I was reading that before, and that's when I went back. 
Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I couldn't imagine reading this and not having the other books after it ready to go. <laughs> Honestly, because, like, can, can you think... Well, this is a spoiler uh, for anyone that's, like, reading the series or if you haven't read the entire series. Um, things change dramatically from this book to the next. And so... <laughs> kind of hang in there for a year or more for the next book it's kind of like oh my god (laughs) okay so uh to move on uh she talks about the you know the warnings that she got from the the hunters and how they've been talking about the villages that have been demolished by other by Faye, supposedly. She then informs us, the readers, that she no longer sees the world in color. We talked about that. Um, she <laughs> spots the deer, right? Finally. Um, after all of her waiting and hunting, whatever. She's talking about how hungry she is and all of the ways that she's tracked this prey. Um, and she is being very stealthy. Um, and then when she is looking at the deer she realizes that there is a large wolf the size of a pony literally it says a pony and somehow she convinces herself that it's not a fairy mm-hmm. <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know about you but wolves are not the size of ponies you know well, technically, um, um, it could have been like a wolf have you seen Twilight <laughs> <laughs> no. those are some large wolves yeah. they I, are I mean, like, in our real, actual world, I guess. I guess I could see that, maybe. Maybe if it was, like, a dire wolf from, like, Game of Thrones. Anyway, so she's, like, arguing with herself that it's not a fairy. So she happens to have an ash. She doesn't happen to have. She has an ash arrow, which she bought, which was really expensive. And she kind of tells us that she hasn't even used it for three years. So she's been hunting for some time. Uh, we eventually find out that she's 19, so she's been, like, yeah. hunting. I don't know what you were doing when you were, like, 16. Like, <laughs> I was not hunting with any kind of skill whatsoever. Anyway, and providing for a family. But, um, but yeah, so she's having a, a, a literal um, description of how she's had to kind of be resilient and, like, Provide for a family. So she's talking about the color and the lack of color, basically. Um, when Farah says that she once saw the world in color and shape and light, and then she described the grass against the tilled soil, as well as amethyst against emerald silk, how did you relate to her point of view? For example, would having more money allow you to dream more? Do you have an opposing view of this? Uh, Would you say that having more money opens you up to less or more colorful views of the world or darker? And does being poor make you more inclined to dream or not dream? Not that um, we would know, but we have had varied times in everybody, you know, has had varied times in their lives where you had nothing or you had more and maybe you saw the world differently. So what what do you all think? Every time I have like twenty bucks in my wallet, I see the world differently. <laughs> yeah, that's what a size up sucks. <laughs> no, but I actually think it just depends on the person, to be honest with you, and how they were raised. And you know, they say uh, money is the root of all evil, and once you have money, you know your attitude changes and all that stuff. But 
Honestly, I don't think being poor makes you more inclined to dream than having money. There are those like who have money and still have hopes and dreams in different ways. I feel like um, sometimes when you have money, you have everything you want, so you don't hope and dream for anything because you already have it. Um, so I think that, and also I think that sometimes being poor, you're kind of discouraged to dream because you're going to think, well, I'm not going to get it anyway, so why dream? But it could be both ways. It, like Mags says, uh, depends on on how you're raised. If you were taught that may, you know you can overcome anything, you can be whatever you want to be, do whatever you want to do as long as you believe in yourself, things like that. It just depends on your parents. And Feyre, you know, she got the short end of the stick. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Feyre has to provide for her family. Um, yeah, and I totally agree also with you guys. Um, just because you're. Um, you know, not as not wealthy, or you're poor, or you're you know you're just whatever end of the socioeconomic scale you're at um, doesn't necessarily mean that the world is colored any less than it would be for maybe somebody else. Also, Feyre is just at the beginning of this. It's it's obvious probably to the reader that she's pretty pretty much in survival mode the entire time. <laughs> and if anyone has ever like been in survival mode which which is probably like for some people like it's every day at work (laughs) (laughs) since covid since 2008 you know whichever uh, whatever it is that you're going through survival mode just is like like she said at the beginning getting through the hour the day the week anyway okay moving on how pissed were you when you found out that vera was the youngest child providing for her entire family how do you relate to this? As the youngest, eldest, middle child, would you have tolerated as much as Farah did? Why do you think Farah tolerated as much as she did? Would you be able to promise the same to your own mother? And do you have any thoughts about Farah's mother, just based on the initial description of her? It's uh, one of the things that, it, and it comes later on in the chapters, not in this first initial chapter, but she does kind of talk about her mom um, and her promising her mom, but she does go into a lot more detail, which we'll get there, but she goes into more detail about how promises are extremely important. Um, moving on, what was the worst decision you've ever made because you were hungry? Because Feyre clearly decides that a wolf the size of a pony might not be a fairy. Like, what the fuck? Would el- what else would it be if it's the size of a pony? Have you ever- you've been around a pony, right, Joe? Yes. <laughs> she she had a pony. <laughs> Everyone that's like grown up, mm-hmm. like ever that they've been a little girl and they asked their dad for like their parents for a, a pony. She actually got a freaking pony. Anyway, they're pretty big. They're still big, you know. Anyway. So, so, what was the question? So, what was the worst decision you've ever made because you were hungry? Well, probably bit somebody's head off. Oh. You know, you get hangry. Mm-hmm. You kind of do that. But I feel like Farah was taught to hate the Fae no matter what. Kind of like something that happened centuries ago, right? So, she's never actually interacted with any of them. She hasn't built any sympathy towards them. She's basically uh, making a judgment on someone else's stories. Stories that are so old, who knows if they're true. You know? True. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. 
and I guess she's willing to do anything because she's basically the provider for her entire family, her sisters and her father being the youngest. I mean, I personally would not take that, but Mm -hmm. that's me saying and talking as a not teen. She hasn't learned. She hasn't lived, so she's not learned to not take people's crap. So that's one thing. You know, it's, I guess it's like um, hindsight is twenty twenty. That oh, was yeah. I think of. You know, like now I can say that, but I was probably just as naive and stupid, and probably anybody could have gotten me to do anything they needed me to at nineteen. Yeah, I agree. Totally, very gullible. Yeah. So okay, so then um, I'm not going to go through the whole. You know, her killing him. She kills the wolf. And she does, you know, get the deer. You know, the wolf has actually managed to mangle up the deer a little bit, you know. But the the other thing is that she is also competing with the wolf for their next meal. She's very hungry. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but, you know, she's um, going to be asked a question later that I think that she could have defended, <laughs> defended herself a little bit better on. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get there. Anyway, so she gets home with um the deer and she has the pelt from the wolf she's you know totally skilled hunter you know was able to get the pelt from the wolf uh slash fey and we get to see Farah's lovely family life upon her return from the hunt they're all excited for her successful hunt as well as the opportunity for money you know that's hanging in the air um she is asked by Elaine where she got the deer, which is the dumbest question I've ever heard. At the market. <laughs> At um, Walmart or H-E-B. <laughs> it's no wonder that Farrah gives her a snarky reply. Um, and then, through though hunting wasn't enough, they asked about, you know, who's going to be cleaning it, you know, and the obvious answer for Farrah is going to be, well, it's going to be, it's going to be her. Yeah. And then she talks about uh, Elaine. She goes on to talk about Elaine, how she doesn't grasp things. And then she describes the time when Elaine bought her paint so that she, you know, that she can paint things that she may enjoy wanting to paint, whatever. Um, Yeah. So, um, as we go on, uh, she is greeted by her dad, Nesta. We just talked about Elaine. Dad gives Farah praise and Nesta laughs. So we get that initial meeting of the snarky sister, um, Nesta, which she is beyond snarky, what am I saying? Um, we get a less than likable description of her family members, probably the harshest description going to Nesta. Nesta's anger at her father for not trying to bring in any income, the experience of seeing her father's creditors come in and break his leg, and for five years now, um, Farah being the one that's hunting for their food. So since she was 14 years old. So Farah snaps at her sister Elaine. Um, she goes on to describe how she simply doesn't seem to grasp things. That they, they're they poor. But she also doesn't um, expect things from her. As her sister, who's you know all about flowers and you know, you know gardening and whatever. She doesn't bark any orders at her. And even tells the reader that she bought... Her seeds to plant flowers in her garden, um, which is impractical, impractically at best, um, in their current situation. So, who doesn't grasp things, Feyre or Elaine? 
Uh, Elaine for sure. <laughs> I feel like yep. she was like raised in a way that her only goal in life is to be married, to have kids. Uh, but she's never taught to to work for something on her own. She's always going to be dependent on a man or somebody else to take care of her. Um, so she doesn't have people. Uh, she can't take the pressure of doing something new. She doesn't adapt well. She wouldn't be able to adapt as Farrah has, who kind of had to at 14 years old to provide for her entire family. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that also uh, Farrah's mom probably didn't pay much attention to her. She was the youngest, so she did have the least amount of time with her mom. Uh, but Elaine, I can't imagine her being a parent when she doesn't know how to mm-hmm. teach their own her own children yeah. to adapt. Mm-hmm. To step up to the plate, I guess. Right. And to be independent. Right. So I do feel like it's Elaine, because Feyre grasps everything. Um, Elaine's personality is gentler and very more sensitive. um, That I feel like it leaves her more vulnerable to any kind of harm. Sort of like a child. But come later in the books, in the series, she becomes a danger. I don't want to give that spoiler, so I'll leave it right there. Yeah. She, um, as we get introduced to everybody in the home, um, she mentions that in describing her sisters and her father, she also mentions that her mom truly only loved their father. Um, that for them, she was cold and basically, you know, very distant. Um, so her point of view is, you know, very much a little bit skewed because she also is the youngest. So she spent the least amount of time with her mom as well. So the people that spent the most amount of time with mom is Elaine and, you know, Nesta. Nesta being the one that is the oldest, so she spent the most, um... She's, um, as far as Feyre goes, um, I know that everybody, you know, we all have opinions about Nesta, Every all, all readers, you know, whether you love her or you hate her, the first person that, to really give sass upon entering the home is Feyre, mm-hmm. um, which is completely relatable, you know, who, depending on what your situation is, you know, maybe it's different for somebody that is single, but if you are single and you live alone and you have, you know, dogs or pets or whatever... It, you could still probably match the disappointment <laughs> um, that is there when you are expecting something to be done when you get home from work and it's not done. So, how pissed are you when you come home expecting certain chores to have been completed only to find that they aren't? Um, is there someone that you would definitely not expect this from and why? Like in our lives? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, I don't know. What's funny is I think it's usually the youngest that you would not expect it from, uh, at least in our family mm-hmm. and in uh, uh, my current family. My youngest mm-hmm. would never do anything. She wouldn't lift a finger. Uh, but it is it is aggravating. I know the feeling when you come home and things that you've requested to be done aren't done. Uh, but Farah is kind of, you know, an extreme. She's put her life on the line to provide for her family. Uh, and they can't do a simple task. So, you know, she can't chop wood. Uh, <laughs> you can't help her clean and prepare the food. Like, why is it okay for Pharaoh? They are all of the same class. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the same freaking family. So why is it okay for Pharaoh, but not Elaine or Nesta? That's not just, you know, mm-hmm. it's angering. 
Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I get, I, I know that there are a lot of folks that love Elaine. They have like a whole, like, they're just all about Elaine and the Elaine defenders, but. They must be the princesses of their own families. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Trying to be diplomatic because they are sometimes feral. Anyway. (laughs) I have to differ on that because I am the baby of the family. Mm. And I do carry the family. Yeah, you do. Mm -hmm. So I could see where Feyre comes from. My brother and my sister are 8 and 10 years older than me. And I have to do like all the grunt work. Yeah. So I can understand that. But Which is, like, in Hispanic families, like, because yeah. we're all Hispanic, all three of us, um, <laughs> you know, that was actually, like, a tradition that was long held, was that the youngest is the one are, that takes care of the parents as they age. They're just expected to, like, take care of them. They're the <laughs> nurses. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Um, well, you're the oldest, so I you don't have to worry about that. You have yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I did not have it made. I will have you know that I got I got the shaft on some things. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> so, quick break to introduce our next wine. We're drinking the Celerosa Black Cherry. Moving on. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So, just to kind of recap, um, we are now up to chapter three, and um, so. Feyre is going to market. So we are kind of skipping over her dad's reaction to the pelt and all that stuff. Um, And we are finally um, on the trek with Feyre, Nesta, and Elaine to the marketplace, right? So they are on the way to go and sell the pelt and see how much money they can get for it you know the girls have already talked about what they want to get elaine wants to get a new cloak because hers is threadbare nesta wants new shoes because you know she says she needs new shoes and you know girls girls can't never have too much too many shoes that's why no (laughs) but but i will not use my younger sister's money for it (laughs) that's awful i will say that I never had want for for shoes because somebody would give me her shoes that she didn't want. My younger sister. My younger sister. I will ha- I will say I do have a shopping addiction and working on that. I haven't joined any groups, but there's no telling. Yeah, I was never f- wanting for any shoes because I got like I got the shoes that you wore like once or twice. So. And then you ruined them for me, and so then I, I couldn't wear them anymore. <laughs> yes, because I don't know how to walk. Anymore. She walks crooked. Stilettos and crooked walking don't mix. Mm-hmm. But now I can't even wear stilettos. My, you know, it's all about wedges now. Yeah, or it's or block sad. heels, block, block heels. heels. Yes. Okay, which is coming back anyway. Um, okay, so on their way to the marketplace, they run into the children of the blessed, um, fanatic fools. Uh, they're spreading the word of the blessed, which, in hindsight, I kind of wonder what they would even say. Um, they never really get to that point where they talk about, you know, you know, kind of like you know, the Mormons do when they come to your door. They have a whole bunch to say. Anyway, they don't ever really say anything. Um, we know that they're ridiculous um, a little bit. You know, the children of the blessed. The children of the blessed. Not. The Mormons. No, no, not the Mormons. I'm not talking about the Mormons. 
Um, they're fine. But the Children of the Blessed are there. They're basically trying to spread the word on, um, you know, how great the Fae are. Um, anyway. But do you think they actually had any interaction with the Fae? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, if they were so all up on the Fae, like, they yeah. should have had a personal relationship and maybe known a little bit more. Yeah, they even had a story where, like, I guess they say that a cousin told me that in their village that this happened to somebody that they knew. You know, like, kind of like... telephone. Like, the story (laughs) kind of just changes from person to person. And when it's like, it used to be a small story, now it's this grand thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, the story is that they, I guess they go and they offered up a sacrifice. I don't know, they offered a a person. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And they took them on as a a high-fae person's wife they became a high person you know and then nesta it's funny because she's like coming and she's like they probably got eaten <laughs> <laughs> i mean i do like nesta she has like Does no she? chill whatsoever yeah. she's like That's get chill. the f out of here <laughs> joe in the group <laughs> i know <laughs> anyway so they are they basically are there trying to talk to Farah and nesta and elaine and they're already like nesta's already like no get out of here with that and then um, these uh, farmers' wives walk by, and they're like, <laughs> sister wives, <laughs> the sister wives, are like watching this, and they're just like, you know, you fairy loving whores, <laughs> I'm like, get out of here with that. You saw her future. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, now they saw our futures. <laughs> they're talking about y'all, not me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We digress. <laughs> I mean, after reading this series, I for damn sure be the one. The big horn around? Let's just say I'm about that bat span. Oh. I mean, um, wingspan. Yeah. <laughs> that's But that's also specific to Reese. Because the other I boys... <laughs> I know they call them the bat boys. Okay, we are in chapter three. Okay, all right, all right, uh, yes. Spoiler alert! Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. We got excited... I know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, so, okay, they get past the, 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 the children of the blessed, um, and they make it to the market, right? They run into, uh, not they, uh, Feyre basically is like, you know, get out of here, I'm going to go and try and, like, sell this pelt. And she comes across the mercenary, right? This big mountain of a woman, you know. Helga. Just, <laughs> Just kind of sitting there at the fountain that, you know, is not even really working or messed up, whatever, in the middle of their town. And she goes straight up to her, you know, because, you know, she's going to see if she can sell her some some stuff, right? And so she goes up to the mercenary at the marketplace, and we get some foreshadowing. Um, Descriptions uh, from, you know, the mercenary about... Some Faye, right? Uh, she we get she gets into a discussion with her. She's trying to sell her the pelt. Um, she's thinking that Farah wants to ask her for her services in order, to, you know, for a trade. And she's like, I don't do that. Um, but she was just like, No, like I'm literally just trying to sell you this stuff because I need some some coins. <laughs> anyway, but uh, during that discussion, they are. Um, talking about the Fae. And we do get some foreshadowing. Um, we get some discussion about... Um, 
some stuff that is going to come up in w- far ahead in the books. So um, she is okay with buying the stuff, buying the pelt from Feyre. She even overpays and basically explains that someone did a similar kindness for her and she was repaying that kindness, basically. Um, for all we know, we, we may there may be more to that than we realize. Um, so... Um, one of the things I was asking us, this group, is uh, us. <laughs> the, the, the mercenary that she comes into contact with seemed important. Um, but by the end of the book, she doesn't really seem to play that important of a part. Um, you know, what did y'all think about her? Did you expect more? Um, did you expect the payoff at some point in the book about the mercenary? Like, maybe she would come back or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, Not really. For me, it was just her giving her that advice and seeing if she takes it. But you know, no. I thought it was really kind of cool that it's a female mm-hmm. uh, mercenary. You know, she's there. The author is introducing women in traditionally male roles. Feyre mm-hmm. is the provider of the family. That's this true. This tough-ass mercenary. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Yeah, normally, normally I, I would expect if there is a mention of a mercenary in any fan... Not that I read a whole lot of fantasy books. <laughs> this is probably like the first one I've ever read. Anyway, but that's my expectation, too, is that it would be a male. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's awesome that it's a female. When Feyre sells her pelt, you know, obviously she gets a lot more money than she was thinking... Um, the mercenary kind of is able to provide answers to some of Feyre's questions because she's asking, you know, what have you, you know, run into as far as Faye? You know, have you come across any, um, you know? And then um, when she looks at the pelt, she re- kind of realizes that this is probably Faye. <laughs> she tells Feyre, oh, but it's not, you know? <laughs> Don't be scared. <laughs> oh, you're okay. It's not. <laughs> no, it's fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's okay. You're not going to die. <laughs> but it was just, just insane, right? Like, she's just like, oh, this is definitely not me. <laughs> it's the size of a freaking pony. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, she tells her, don't go that far again. She's basically already knowing how far you've gotten. So to me, Feyre should have been like, "Uh oh, I, I think I killed him. I think I killed a fairy." Anyway, um, she asks, you know, you know, how do you, you know? Basically, what do you know? And um, she warns her that there have been more and more things happening along the border that uh, included monsters coming across and you know mm-hmm. raiding different villages. Um, anyway. So, okay, so we get some foreshadowing, and uh, Feyre is basically kind of informing the reader that, of the things that she's heard of. She's heard that there have been Fey that were able to basically turn people into dust, right, um, from 100 yards away. Um, then we get some descriptions of um, Fey that could pull you under the water from a long-lost pond that everyone has forgotten yes. uh, and yes. that is like foreshadowing and beyond. way beyond yeah the far yeah. far beyond way beyond so yeah. i don't even know how how like an author can like have that much 
planning. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane to me that she planned, Sarah J. Mass planned that, you know, foreshadowing for that much later. Because <laughs> that is literally, like, the most recent book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, you know, I can't even, like, plan for a trip anymore. <laughs> Are you serious? Can't even pack what you're gonna pack. Oh my gosh, that's like every day. Like <laughs> my son's like juice box and juice. Anyway, so um, she she's going into all of those descriptions. So we get a lot of foreshadowing for the later books. We even get some foreshadowing for the very next book. Um, but um then we get nesta nesta pulls her away from her she warns her that you know you know they're just brutes they're just gonna rob pharah and then in this conversation uh pharah is like what are you talking about you know have you been robbed before and we find out that she's been robbed like her and elaine have been (laughs) robbed before and pharah has no idea you know they've gone through something and she's just this is the first time she's hearing about it um (laughs) You know, and they're having a whole discussion about it, but then Elaine is like, Oh, you know, hey, your your gun friend over there is like <laughs> is like waiting for you. Um and then we get a description of him and it is um you know that he is um uh, relatively handsome. Yeah. <laughs> compared so to he, he's like a five. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had known what her town was called, you know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like uh, it's a, it's a, you know, Johnsonville, uh, five, you know, <laughs> or, uh, Johnson- <laughs> Jacksonville. <laughs> no, she likes to talk about Johnson, so okay. it's Johnsonville. <laughs> since, you know, since she's about to go get some sad Johnson, Johnson, yeah, because it really is, you know, because she's describing him as relatively handsome, relative to like the mud covered other residents of Johnsonville <laughs> and um, soft-spoken, reserved, but with a sort of darkness running beneath it all that mm. had drawn them together. B D S. I doubt he was that interesting, <laughs> but you know that's kind of like also a little bit of foreshadowing for later. Um, no, not this book. <laughs> not this book. Maybe. Kind of this book, maybe you never know. Tammy is interesting, um, but we don't know for Tammy about yet. two seconds. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so she gets the saddest hookup of her life. You know, of all of our lives, if we were there and had to watch. It was like a one night stand, um, but it lasted longer. <laughs> she basically also talks about how they even came to doing this stuff. You know, she's just like um, we um, talked about how. You know, the different eggs in his basket were different colors. And even the colors that she describes are like, oh, it was like a, a sad light blue. And a like sad- a muted blue, muted colors. Yes. So, like, this, this whole, like, all of these earlier chapters are definitely, like, it's a contrast between the laters um, that, you know, she doesn't even see color until later. Anyway, after that, they get home, and she notes that um, when they get home, after she had given Elaine Nesta... Uh, Elaine and Nesta money to go and buy whatever it is that they wanted. Um, they ended up not even buying the shoes. They didn't buy the, the cloak. They bought the dad a freaking chisel <laughs> <laughs> for his wood carvings, right? Like, he doesn't even make them any money, but Elaine bought him the wood chisel. Like, 
You know that wasn't Nesta. It was no, yeah, it was Nesta. <laughs> she was being nice to her sister, like her 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 little soft sister, or whatever. Anyway, but I, which is dumb, I think. Honestly, I'm sorry, but like, haven't they ever saved like any coin at all? Like, <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, so we are finally back at the Archeron home, and they're all like just settling in, and. Um, Suddenly, you know, enters Tammy. You know, Tammy, uh, Tamlin bursts through the doorway. Which, first of all, what a dick! You know, like what if that wasn't even like where they lived? <laughs> like, because he goes in, right? He's like bursting in. The snow's all coming in, or whatever. Um, he calls them murderers. That's the first thing, you know, murderers, murderers. Um, and he's totally, you know, his. Brassy ass is like, you know, asking who did it, right? Um, so, whenever, um, you know, we get to that point, right? Feyre, she says, in, is inexplicably to her at least, is somehow in between her family and Tamlin. Like, she doesn't even understand that she's just being protective of her family. She just, she doesn't even know why. It's like a little bit sad. Anyway, um, she also gets upset because the dad is there, and she's just like, oh, yet one more person for me to have to defend. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really, like, bitter about it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, like, this whole time, she's just bitter about everything. Anyway. I mean, five years of having yeah, to be the protectors. That's true. That's true. Um, also, though, she, she probably was like, just take me. Take me. Right. I'm tired. <laughs> right. I'm so tired. <laughs> kill me. Just kill me. <laughs> I'm so tired of hunting. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I need a shower. Oh, I know. <laughs> but she's also thinking about the fact that she's, she could be dead also. Anyway. Blaine um, is just, like, throwing out, we didn't kill anything. Like, what are you, like, basically, what are we talking about? What are you talking about? Um, and Farah confesses. You know, she says that I did it. Um, and Tamlin is just, like, in disbelief that Farah could have possibly killed um his friend, uh, the wolf slash Faye. Um, he's pissed, um, and he asks if they threatened their lives when he, when they were killed, but doesn't care about the fact that he was on the other side of the wall. You know, we're not going to mention the fact that he shouldn't have been there. Um, she decides, Faye decides to say that their kind deserved it after all that the Fae had done to them as a as humankind, uh, which is like, you know, way to go there. <laughs> it's not great to do that. What would you have said to Tamlin, despite the fact that he would have taken you anyway, right? Um, and to try to make you fall in love with him. <laughs> the worst pun- punishment. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> we love Tamlin at this point. Anyway. Yeah. So what would no, you no, say? we don't know Tamlin. But anyway. What would you have said to Tamlin, despite the fact that he would have taken you away? I would have said, which you deserved it. <laughs> Not really, because I, I don't think I would be able to kill anybody, but, you know, it's good to argue. I like to argue. So I think I would have made the argument a little, last a little longer. I think at this point, this is when I was kind of mentioning at the very um, beginning, I would have been like, look, like, dude, you know how you just looked at me and you were like questioning whether I could do it or not because mm-hmm. I look like I am a bag of bones 
Um, it was either your friend or we starve, right? Like right. the deer was there. I need to kill the deer to eat. The family needs to eat. And it was life or death, not in the way that you think it would be. You know, like mm-hmm. that would have been my argument. And he was not on his side of the wall. Like, dude, you were on our side. Yeah. Um, in uh, in the midst of all this, uh, Farah is describing uh, to us as the reader that Nesta, you know, she would probably not like try to help Farah defend. You know, she would defend Elaine, uh, de- you know, defend her gentle heart mm-hmm. um, because her, you know, flower growing. Yeah. But would, you know, would not be able to handle it or try to even defend. She would. She wouldn't defend, but she would, you know, run and try to, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. whatever. Um, she also, um, in Farah admitting that she is the one that killed him, you know, the father, father, Papa Archeron, begins to say that, you know, you know, he's trying to not have her be the one that has to bear the brunt of the punishment, you know, have to be the, the life that they have to trade off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because Farah is all. She is all. Then he kind of never finishes what he's going to say. Um, later, when Farah's talking to her, she tells her that if she does manage to go, like because he, he does explain to her eventually that she doesn't have to die, that she can just go and live with him over in Prithian. He explains that he has lands over there. Um, and Farrah's father basically tells her, like, if you go and you manage to, like, get out of there, don't ever come back. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so. What do we think about that? What do you think about that? That's kind of weird. Like, mm-hmm. you would just say to your. I think that he might have said, like, that she's all he has. Because the other two, if it were up to them. They'd starve, basically. They would not be able to keep the, the family alive. Uh, so, I mean, and Nesta, if if, if Feyre were to leave, she might kick his butt out of the house. You know, she's so annoyed with him. Uh, I think he tells her to leave and start over because he knows what kind of burden he and the other sisters have been. He knows that she can have so much more because of her strength, her ability to take care of herself. She mm-hmm. hasn't had a life, and she is only 19, and she's already had to live with such a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wants her to live. I agree. I feel like that sentence could have totally gone to Feyre is all I have to support this family. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably knew that she deserved better, like you said, for all that she's done and been through. So letting her go was probably the best thing he could have ever actually done for True. her to, mm-hmm. you know, be happy and stuff. Yeah. Since he's never really done much else for her. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I think at some point he says that he would um, be able to pay Tamlin for the worth of his oh, yeah. friend. <laughs> and it's like... There's no I, value on something like that. Well, yeah, there's no value on it. But if I was if I was fucking fair, fair I would... I would have been like, what the fuck? Like, you, you could have made money. Like, you could have helped us make money. Or, like, how many lifetimes is it going to take? Or how many drawings? What was it? Oh, no, wood carvings he would yeah. have to have. Like, mm. He's like, I could find gold. And she's like, the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Where was you, bitch? I know. (laughs) But then she, like, excuses it. Like, she excuses him. And she's like, oh, he would have to beg and all that stuff. Anyway. (laughs) I'm just, oh, yeah. Wine's kicking in? Yeah. I started cussing. So, 
Yes, it's kicking in. Maggie, do you want to introduce the next wine? <laughs> sure. Wine number three. What's that? Villa oh, this. Did you forget? Do you want me to introduce this one because they can't say it? No, I'm no. just saying that. Is it Villa des Angies? <laughs> Villa des Angies. I mean, is it Angies? Villa Angelus. Let's just say it's Old Vines Rosé. Sin Salt. Sin Salt? All right. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's Italian, right? It's not like. It's not Mexican, so you're not yeah. going to say unhand. <laughs> <laughs> kind of being a favorite. Uh, I will. I have to. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even gotten to the, the literacy jokes. <laughs> anyway, I should mention that, that Joe just tried to open a bottle. That had no top. <laughs> that had no top. Not, it was already open. Hello. Anyway, okay. So, <laughs> I will say I have, have had the least amount of wine, though. I'm just tired. Okay. <laughs> I'm so tired. Hamlin, take me away. Oh, my God. Ew. Want some rosé? I'm not going to lie. Tamlin is probably like... Fabian crack. Well, <laughs> I mean, at, the, at that point in time, he's... he's Her saving grace, kind of, because, yeah. like, he, he takes her out of an ugly situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Tamlin is, like, a real life... Um, probably eight, right? And a Prithian five. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that the pretty fairy? <laughs> He's pretty. They're all He's pretty. The yeah, thing yeah. is that they're all pretty. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But um, there's prettier. Yes. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> moving on. So moving on. Um. So she goes on uh, with Tamlin. Um. Tammy takes fair to Spring Court, right? Um. In chapters in chapter five. Um. During that chapter. Um. She's on the way. Um, she is um, riding a horse, right? She's, like, surprised that he has a horse. She's, he's just, like, kind of, you know, because he's described as a cat-like body. <laughs> I hate cats. <laughs> They're the worst. And uh, with with antler, like, uh, horns and uh, a lion, was it? No, a wolf face. Um I never really, like, paid attention to the description because I've seen the art and I'm just like, that's all I know now. That's that's all he looks... That's how he looked. <laughs> anyway, he was a big cat. <laughs> Going... Cat with horns. Um, and he's just, like, you know, walking beside the horse that she's riding on um, that she actually has to get, I guess... Because she's... They're talking and he's just kind of, like, a grumpy ass, like, doesn't want to talk to her, I guess. Um, and so he eventually uh, puts her to sleep. And before she falls asleep, um, she smells a metallic tang in the air, right? Um, I know, that's so weird. Um, she notices that he makes her fall asleep. And then again, when they get to the manor of Spring Court, she's immediately, immediately overcome with the colors of spring when they get there, erupting all around her. Flowers... Um, all the, you know, the things, you know, the plants. Um, they travel through the garden, and it seems so empty. Um, quickly, the logic of it, um, constantly smelling of metal. It- anyway, she's confused. 
because when they get there, everything seems to smell like metal, right? Mm -hmm. And she's thinking that it smells like metal because they have gone from the lands where she was at, where it was snowing and absolutely cold, and now it's suddenly spring. And it's not like they went to a territory that was way up north. Like, if you looked at the map at the beginning, the map is England. Mm -hmm. So she's not in whatever is north. Anyway, um, (laughs) sorry. But it's literally spring, right? So she was expecting it to be snowing. And so she's thinking that it's magic that's keeping it Mm spring-like where where they are. Um, You know. Would you uh, be able to tolerate the smell of metal where you lived constantly? Um, Yeah. Would you? I think I'd be okay with a metal. I think that it was something like... Pumpkin spice. Oh my god! Oh, I love. I would die. I would die. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Those they kill me during the fall season. I want to like close my nose forever. I hate that smell. (laughs) I love the weather. I hate the smell fall. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love it. And musk. Musk is another one. Disgusting. I love pumpkin spice too. Me too. Mm -hmm. I don't like weather. Oh my god! (laughs) Get out of Texas. Although, uh, if I had to choose between metal and smelling a dirty-ass cat litter box all day, mm-hmm. like I do at work, mm-hmm. I would definitely choose that metal. Because That's another story for another day. <laughs> <a> very different <laughs> story. <laughs> Check on your coworkers. <laughs> Please, and see if they're okay. Anyway, um, I like the smell of leather, too, but uh, real, actual leather, yeah. not like... Not fake candle. Not mm-hmm. leather. Yeah. <laughs> What smell would be, hands down, the one that would absolutely be a deal breaker? Like, what would you, like, what would keep you from being somewhere? Like, that, like, as, as amazing as a manor, where it's consistently spring all year round, you know, like, 70 degree weather. Pumpkin spice. Oh. <laughs> and cinnamon. Cinnamon's another uh, one. Gross. I Not love cinnamon. Real cinnamon? Yes. Fake cinnamon, glade spray, disgusting. It burns your nostrils. I think I am scarred from our childhood when people would come over our mom wanted it not to smell like dog or cat she would just spray the crap out of the cinnamon glade mm-hmm. disgusting burns my nostrils because i was actually born on halloween so everything about that season just reminds me about it so it's like oh, that's me the love of it it just reminds me of like warm <laughs> house Get that doesn't here. have any ventilation oh. and like stink Hater. you gotta cover up that stink okay, i love it when those cinnamon brooms come out but that's real cinnamon. That's not like faux cinnamon. Faux cinnamon's gross. If you could change what the what magic smelled like in the book, what would you make it smell like instead of metallic smell, which is kind of like gross? I would say my magical scent would be a soft scent of eucalyptus, strawberries, and lavender. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, cleaner. I like clean smells. I like honeysuckle. That's the one I like. Oh yeah. Both disgusting. I hate both of us. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. I don't know what I... Maybe game. <laughs> wow. Irish Spring. Oh. Damn. Hey, don't hate on Irish, Irish Spring. I okay, so like, this ax. girl used to carry a bar of Irish Spring <laughs> in her purse because she liked the way it smells so much. Oh, I thought you were trying to keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> No, she like rubbed it in her pit. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, I swear. I loved the way it smelled so much that it. I put it in my purse. Oh, I like goodness. caress too. 
I do like Caress. Caress is small. Yeah. I love Caress. You know that the base scent of Caress is honeysuckle? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm no, dead. it's not. I'm it's, like, it's like peach. I checked. I'm lying. I like peaches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, okay. Now we're getting into chapter six. Like, chapter five was literally just them going there. Anyway. Because um, there's like a thousand chapters. No hate. <laughs> um, so we enter Spring Court Manor. Um, when Farrah goes into the manor, she finds her way uh, to the dining room. Um, she's keep in mind when she goes to the dining room the first time, she's just as she was when she was at home. So if she smelled like a you know Ferris, <laughs> what did Nesta say? Like a animal. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, like an animal. Yeah, like a. A feral animal. Feral pig. Um, She goes and she sits at the dining room, the long table covered in an excessive amount of food and wine. Um, This is when we're introduced to the rules humans have been living by when dealing with fae as a cautionary tale. Uh, Don't eat their food. Don't drink their wine. Why do you think that, um, you know, before this also, she also mentions the fact that the humans have been told that fake cannot lie which also lends to the fact uh, of um tamlin when he tells her oh it's a life for a life this is why you have to come over mm-hmm. here you know this mm-hmm. is why um i'm not you know you don't have to i don't have to kill you you can just come live with me <laughs> there's no mention uh, like so she's thinking all of this stuff is true there's no mm-hmm. way that he could be lying so that kind of also gives us the ability to kind of uh, suspend reality like why are we not questioning like the the fact that he wants her to go live with him you know because right. no one wants to live with him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway okay so um all of these different rules right these cautionary tales about don't eat their food don't drink their wine why do you think that humans came up with these rules and there is mention to keep from being enslaved mentioned um Mm-hmm. Why do you think they came up with these rules? I think that sometimes uh, humans feel safe because they got precautions in place, and they're thinking like, if I follow these rules, I'll be safe. Like COVID, mm-hmm. when we couldn't we couldn't uh, meet up in groups of ten. Why was ten the magic number? Yeah, yeah. That was like weird. you know, how many feet you had to be apart? Six feet. Who came up with six feet? I mean, uh, I think that these rules we were following these rules, and we all thought. We're safe because we're following these rules. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I kind of think that that's kind of a plays into it. So mine's kind of technical because I'm into that fairy lore and all that. Um, I think they know that the fae world consists of magic and their food and drink also contain that magic within because, well, it's the fae world mm-hmm. food. Um, and this is the lore they've sworn by. So this leaves them with establishing a magical bond with the fae that binds them to their world, which causes them to lose their abilities um, to return home or as a free human. Um, so to the humans, fays are known for their trickery and mm-hmm. manipulation. And by eating their food and drink, it's seen as a sign of trust and vulnerability. Yeah. But another so. thing is, like, it's been centuries. Yeah. <laughs> 500, to be exact. I think it's mentioned earlier. Right? Yeah, it's like centuries. Like, you don't think maybe the rules have changed? <laughs> <laughs> They're modern now. <laughs> The party like this. <laughs> that's a, that's another thing I should mention. Um, earlier on, uh, Favor does go into like heavy detail about uh, the fact that 
when she promised her mom, it was a promise. And apparently to humans, a promise is extremely important because the, they are basically living with a promise between the Fae and humans. Mm. And that's the only thing that's keeping them safe from each other. Well, yeah. Really, it's the humans keeping <laughs> themselves safe from the Fae. <laughs> so basically, she at some point explains that promises between you know even just just humans is uh is like a law even more mm-hmm. so because she even says that at some point they don't even pray to their old gods anymore mm-hmm. they it's a promise is mm-hmm. yeah super important anyway uh, so she goes into the manor she goes into that long table it's you know he's over there he eventually um you know he's his little you know beast beast self and this is you know absolutely at this point i was only picturing the beast the disney beast <laughs> yes and how you eat blah, 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 blah. And, <laughs> and that scene where he's like sitting at the table then starve <laughs> anyway uh, i would like to say that was outside her bedroom oh that's right that's right okay i'm sorry my bad get it right okay when uh, anyway, so they get there, and she sees Feyre uh, see, sees Tamlin turn into his humanoid Fey form at the table. Um, and how how disappointed were you when you found out that he was blonde? <laughs> okay, I have a couple of things to say about that. One of them is Chris Hemsworth, <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård, true, and Brad Pitt in an interview with the vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind a blonde man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> How do you feel about, like, I, hair? Uh, like, Chris Hemsworth, yes. Like, I mean, he's a beast of a man. He could have been Tim. He's a beast. Yeah. I don't know what it is about brown-haired males that are more... Well, I would say I do yeah. prefer a brown-haired yeah. person, but I'm just saying... Yeah. If that's who I was stuck with yeah. for the rest of my life, I'd make do. Yeah. Um, Especially if he's got all that food. And I don't, I don't have to cook. <laughs> Feed me. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Um, so, okay. So, at this point, um, you know, we, we just talked about the fact that this scene reminds us of Beauty and the Beast. Actually, you know, it almost, as soon as they enter Spring Court, it's pretty much... All reminiscent of Beauty and the Beauty Beast, and the Beast right? Because Belle was not a hunter. Anyway, um, she did have a crazy, kooky dad. But, yeah. Um, he was way more skilled than Pharaoh's dad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the, the difference with this scene is that we have snarky Lucian. Mm-hmm. Um, enters the chat. I know. I love me the redhead. Anyway, <laughs> to take on the antagonizer role. Uh, because at this point, we don't know about the real villain, right? We're thinking that Tamlin's the villain, right? Until much later on in the book. Um, did you, based on Tamlin's and Lucian's behavior, favor favor one over the other? And if you did, why was it Lucian? <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucian, I would say, gives you more personality. Tamlin is just like this brute who's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. Yeah. I mean, he's, he has got no finesse. He can't even give her a decent compliment. Uh, Lucian, okay, you get a little bit more of what's inside of him versus yeah. Tamlin, which is just, rawr. yeah, kill the beast. <laughs> Mags. 
Have you ever watched the movie Labyrinth? Yes. yes. Of course. She's got it. I don't know why, but every time I picture Tamlin, he reminds me of the Goblin King. <gasps> <laughs> and when they, no. describe, when they describe Lucian, do you know that little fox that rides the dog? <laughs> no. No, ma'am. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay. Simmer down. Not that, but no. <laughs> Let's take this back. I do. <laughs> It's your favorite lotion. <laughs> I have to say that because when I was reading it, I did picture that for some reason. I don't know so, just to point out, Maggie likes little red-headed animals riding on <laughs> bigger animals. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <sighs> Moving on. Lucian was the... Yeah. Lucian was the better choice. There. I mean, he showed more of himself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Um, uh, but we, okay, so, um, Tamlin provides the explanation to Lucian about Andrus, who is the fae that was killed by Feyre, um, how he was killed, and how ridiculous it is for Feyre to be able to do so because she's a tiny female human, not necessarily by choice, of course, on the tiny part. Um, and so Lucian just kind of like snarks the shit out of her. (laughs) I don't know how else to explain it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I can't, because she's a tiny human, I am the shortest one of this group. (laughs) And I can't say, I can't be a tough little nugget when I want to be. So, I mean, it doesn't mean you're not tough just because you're small. Yeah. That's true. Like chihuahuas. Like me. So, uh, so we get all the snark from Lucian, um, and uh, he is really, really. You can tell that he's really, really upset with the whole situation. Um, Feyre, uh, in the midst of all this, she's internally calling Lucian a bastard <laughs> when he says that that scrawny thing brought down Andrus. And later on, you know, later on in the books, you know, <clears throat> spoiler warning, spoiler warning. For anyone that who's only up to this book, um, it's determined much later that he really is a bastard. <laughs> um, also, um, how ridiculous is this scene uh, upon rereading when we know Tamlin was sending out sentries like lambs to the slaughter, um, but full-on gaslighting the crap out of Feyre to make her fall in love with him. Mm. Um, and I, I want to say that that is probably one of the reasons that Tamlin is also really disliked because throughout the fandom, um, you know, this is obviously a, a huge manipulation of Feyre to get her to fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. So... At at this dinner table, Lucian asks Feyre if she hesitated or if the hate in her heart for the Fae was riding too hard <laughs> to consider sparing him. Um, which riding too hard was that like a reference to a woman like ill? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just you know he's because Lucian in this book he's described as. Like he's very different in yeah. this book compared yes, to yes. this is like this is my fave. This is peak Lucian. Yes, right? like yes. And then it's just like the right, most confident he is so far. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so he's he's a 
dirty little. He was a very willing participant in the shenanigans later on yeah. at Cal and Mike. <laughs> uh, hey, so what do you think of this interaction between Feyre and Lucian with the advantage of having read the whole book? Uh, is he angry? Is he checking to see if she fits the requirements? Uh, is he just trying to make her talk? Um, what would you have said to Lucian? And would you likely have fallen for Tamlin's fiddle-playing ass <laughs> had you not known uh, about the curse? Mm-hmm. Like, especially with Lucian being able to play the gruff, uh, strong, silent, bad-with-women type while Lucian takes on the uglier role of... Um, but also being more... Uh, uglier role of bite. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever his tastes are, I don't know. <laughs> but he gets to be the he gets to be like um the uglier guy. He's like the bad it's almost like good cop and bad cop, but he got to be ba- the bad cop to make Tamlin look good, right? Yeah. Um who would you have fallen for? Like Tamlin or Lucian at this point? Or like at least had vague interest in, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. At that point I would have gone with Lucian. Just because he has a personality that I would Well, I don't think so. I would have gone with Tamlin. I mean, he saved you from ruin. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I mean, later on in the conversation, he tells you that he is providing for your family. Whether or not you believe that's true, but, you know, sometimes you... She has been leading, the you know, her life, having to take care of other people. She's made me want somebody to take the steering wheel and, like, take mm-hmm. on for her. Mm-hmm. She's only 19, you know, and she's gotten into this role where she's the provider, she's the protector. I mean... How like, were you at 19? Were you the provider <laughs> and protector of anybody? Not me. No, I was real Not even for myself. <laughs> so. But for you as a person, would you go for Tamlin? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I would have gone for yeah. Tamlin because he was the protector. He was mm-hmm. the provider. I mean, at this point, you don't know how he's going to be in the future. So right. at this point in time, when I first read the book, I was all about Tamlin. I guess the reason why I was for Lucian because I was four assholes at that time in my life. <laughs> this is true. We can, we can verify. <laughs> well, so Feyre, eventually she is escorted back to her room by Alice. Um, and on her way, as she steps out, Lucian is overheard talking to Tamlin about Feyre and how perhaps they should finally fight back, right? Um that none of their sentries should have been sent out there um you know that this go, they go on to say maybe to get rid of Farah that she's probably going to be a burden and they, sh- they should they could just kill her and just be done with it and just fight back right later on in the book it's explained that these overheard conversations were on purpose because the curse blocked Tamlin and Lucian from telling her about it. Looking at the conversation again, what do you think the goal or goals were in her overhearing it? Keep in mind that Lucian's also continuing to insult her. (laughs) And Farah is still unbathed, probably smells awful, you know. At this point, she is really disgusting looking, you know. Um... Anyway, uh, what do y'all, what are y'all, what are your thoughts? Uh, I feel like he intended to create, like, a, a sense of doubt and mistrust in her mind. So that way, you know, he can keep her, well, more like a, 
to put in her mind in hopes that it would help her question her purpose there in the spring court and ultimately like make her become discouraged and leave. That's how I saw it. I don't know. I thought that he was basically trying to make make Tamlin seem attractive. <laughs> Because like a wingman? Tam- <laughs> no, not even a wingman. Because like, okay. Tamlin has no game. <laughs> because Tamlin has no game. And apparently, Galushin probably does. Because he's probably like, oh my god. A man whore. <laughs> yeah, he's probably, yeah, he is a man whore. And he probably is like, Tamlin has zero game. For real. Like, I have to basically make him seem attractive. Because he is the one that's going to keep her alive. <laughs> <laughs> so so he's basically saying we could kill her like we could whatever and so the fact that Talon is like absolutely not that is supposed to be attractive to fair <laughs> <laughs> okay so when she's finally bathed and she's like I'm bathed plucked all of that all she's completely hairless hairless wonder right maybe <laughs> oh God, um, Alice! To Alice, you know the you know the basically she's the can- a handmaiden is there to help keep her you know to give her some information right to keep her eyes open and keep her loose lips shut <laughs> uh, and then goes on to say how benevolent Tamlin is in keeping her despite other Faye's wishes to keep to get rid of her. Um, do you think that this was true, or do you think that they were again manipulating Feyre into liking Tamlin? Um, like, it was a concerted effort to make Tamlin appealing. By the whole, like, manner, uh, or the whole, whole court, I should say, she encourages her to snap back at Lucian, even. Uh, and what do you think the point of that is? Um, yeah. I don't know what the point about that is. But I do think she is manipulating her. Everybody wants her to go for Tamlin. Obviously, they want to break this curse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they're all, you know, pro yeah. pro Tamlin. I feel the same, but then I felt differently once I read the other books about her nephew. Weren't they in the... Yeah, but she still... They, I mean, ultimately, she wanted that curse yeah. to be broken, right? Yeah. Everybody. I mean, you probably could have gone to a different court, and they wanted the curse to be broken, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I think anywhere she would have gone, they would have been pushing her to tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was basically a full on effort to like make sure that Feyre fell in love with Tamlin, like mm-hmm. just because he wanted her alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's our recapping and discussion of the chapters one through six of Akatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be back next week to discuss the next few chapters. Keep in mind, this is our first go at a podcast, so bear with us as we kind of improve and tweak things to make it more enjoyable for our viewers or our listeners. Excuse me. Yeah, we appreciate any constructive feedback, um, any helpful advice would be wonderful. Any questions you'd like us to cover, uh, you can email us at three number three whiny witches at gmail.com. Uh, I just wanted to point out that whiny is not whiny. It's W-I-N-E-Y because of the wine. Just in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we also have social media handles if y'all want to go ahead and give us a follow. And that's on Instagram and TikTok. We haven't made any yet, but we 
will soon. Um, it's the same thing, three whining witches. And until next time, see you later, witches. Bye. Ta-ta. <laughs>